Well, good morning. Our uh, scripture lesson for today is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. And they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, and we ask, Lord, now that your Holy Spirit um, would focus our hearts and our minds and prepare us for your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would challenge us and shape us so that we would more and more reflect the values and the thoughts and the attitudes, the actions of your Son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought uh, I would begin today before we jump into the message by uh, using a math pun. My kids hate when I do math puns, but I'm going to do one anyway up at the pulpit. Um, so um, if you're cold, go stay in the corner. It's always 90 degrees there. Uh, uh, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. Okay. We'll, we'll stop at that one. Okay. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, that earth receive your king. Thus begins one of the most popular and most sung Christmas carols of all time. Joy begins with joy. And joy is a, is a powerful feeling and experience. It's something we all want. But it's also one of the most elusive. Joy seems to come and go quickly. It's hard to hold on to. So how do we hold on to joy? A joy that's not based upon the circumstances of our life, how big our bank account is, how our kids are doing, how our marriage is doing, how our health or finances are doing. How do we experience joy that's independent of those sorts of situations and circumstances? Joy to the world. Why do we sing joy to the world? It's, it's, it's not because it's almost Christmas and we're going to get a lot more stuff. It's not because everything went perfectly well last year, because nobody's lives are perfect. John Ortberg, a pastor, says that in this world, joy is almost always in spite of something in our lives. Joy. We don't have joy because we've been really good this past year. Because as you look at the human race, we're really kind of a mess. All is not calm and all is not bright. Storyteller Kathleen Norris in her book, Athedia and Me, writes a story about a little boy 
It was a Sunday morning. He's in Sunday school. It's a very noisy and rambunctious class. And he, he walks out into the hallway and he sees an older guy standing there and he looks at him and says, we're being bad and we don't know how to stop. That about sums it up, doesn't it? It's nearly Christmas, but things are still messy in our world, perhaps somewhat in your lives. Around the holidays, tensions in families tend to, tend to be elevated. As people, we do horrible things and we don't do the things we should do. And that's just here at home. Don't even get me started on the state of the world around us. We are sinners. We're being bad and we don't know how to stop. We are, as the author of O Holy Night wrote, in sin and error pining. We need a savior. We need help. We can't save ourselves. Now, as a human race, we've done a lot of positive things. We've done a lot of impressive things. Great technology. We've built skyscrapers, smartphones, theme parks, cell phones, smart cars. We can fly to the moon. We can restart a heart. We can replace a heart. But we cannot save ourselves. We act badly, and we don't know how to stop. So where is our joy? Where do we find joy? Now, I have, I have to admit that joy is in pretty short supply in our world, it seems, today. You could say that we're suffering from a, a joy deficit. It feels like we're living with the Paris effect. Have you heard of the Paris effect? It's a disappointment that many first-time visitors experience when they visit Paris for the first time because they have these sky-high expectations of what they're going to find. In a recent article in the Wall Street Journal, explains that it often affects women who arrive expecting an affluent and friendly European capital where slim and beautiful French people walk around smelling of Chanel. <laughs> the article goes on to say that instead they find pavements peppered with cigarette butts and aggravated commuters in packed metro plane, uh, trains and Frenchmen who are impatient with your attempts at speaking their language. For some, it says, the shock is too much to bear, prompting them to seek medical help for symptoms that include irritability, fear, obsession, depressed mood, insomnia, and a feeling of being persecuted by the French. In extreme cases, they say, the only remedy is a one-way ticket out of France. The higher the expectations, the deeper the disappointment when things don't go as you hope or expect or plan. It's that way with life sometimes, isn't it? And so when we sing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, we need to decide, is, is that just a sentimental song that brings back memories, makes us feel good? Or if it's something really available to us as human beings? Can we discover joy? This past week, we began a, a short sermon series during Advent where we're looking at the, the greatest gifts ever, the best gifts ever. Of course, Christ is the, the greatest gift, but he, he makes certain gifts available to us because of his coming. And we began by looking at the, the gift or the topic of hope. And we spent most of our time looking at the, the Old Testament writings of Jeremiah, an old prophet. Well, today we're looking at the, the gift or the topic of, of joy and as you can probably guess, we're going to be looking at some of the writings of an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah. Now, Isaiah lived about 2,700 years ago. And he lived in Judah, the southern kingdom 
of Israel. Did a little geography history lesson. There was a time in the history of Israel where they were divided country. It wasn't quite like a civil war, but at times there was aspects to that. And the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah, and in the middle was the capital city, the holy city, with the temple, the city of Jerusalem. And Isaiah lives in Judah, the southern kingdom. And when he's writing and speaking and living, the Assyrian Empire to the north, which would be present-day Syria, has grown and it's gobbled up the northern kingdom. And so it's encroaching upon Judah, which doesn't sound really good. But on the other hand, as we look through Isaiah, the economy was really strong. People's standard of living was really pretty good. But there's an uncertainty to their world because Assyria is just to the north threatening them. So what do you do when you feel that squeeze, when there's a threat that feels imminent and there's pressure? What do you do? That's the decision that the people of Judah face. And Isaiah comes to them and says, well, this is what we need to do. Here is the solution. We need to trust in God. But instead... The people of Judah make a series of tragic mistakes. And the bottom line is they trusted the wrong things. In fact, at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, he says this, They have forsaken the Lord, and they have despised the Holy One of Israel, and they are utterly estranged. In other words, they have trusted in the wrong things. They've trusted in in foreign kings and foreign gods. They've trusted in their own military might, their economic power. They've trusted in themselves. Which... That's the same issue we face today, isn't it? Isn't that the same temptation and challenge we have? I mean, we're called God's people, but in our own lives, what really motivates us? What are our goals, our ambitions, our purposes in life? And what do we trust in to accomplish those goals? And and what are we trusting enough to carry us through life to experience real peace and joy and love? Well, from Isaiah, we learn three lessons about the path to joy. And along with those three lessons are three attending reminders. And the first is the path to joy isn't popular. Let me explain. Now, the end of chapter 8, we didn't get into that. Just before the passage we read, it's a pretty depressing passage. So we didn't read it, but it's, it's pretty depressing. Because the people are trusting in something that is, is anti-God. They're consulting fortune tellers uh, and mediums to get messages from the dead to know what to do next. And Isaiah speaks these words about the consequences. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they will be enraged and they'll speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, instead, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. Not real hopeful, is it? What he's describing is they're going to be in exile And he describes the scene as as thick darkness. But there's good news in the midst of the darkness. In the middle of chapter 8, he also writes this. Bind up the testimony. In other words, count on this. Seal the teaching among the disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Another word for the people of Israel. And I will hope in him. And behold, I and the people whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Zion. So here's 
the first news that can lead us to joy. Even though there's a lot of darkness in the land, even though there's bad things on the horizon, even when bad things are happening and evil people have the upper hand, God will always, always have his people. He will always have his people. Even in the midst of, of darkness and discouragement, God will always have his people. And so Isaiah expresses confidence in God, even though the darkness gathers, because he knows that God loves them and God has made a promise to them. So don't go looking for joy in the wrong places, because Isaiah reminds us that we will not find it there. Second, the path of joy isn't expected. It's a surprise. Again, we turn to Isaiah, this time chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the nations. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Another kind of geography history lesson. Galilee um, was north of Judah. It was a pretty remote place, it was, and it was looked down upon. It was kind of the backwoods, um, kind of the Appalachia of Israel. People didn't think well, real well. They were biased against them. Had a lot of, of un, 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 not very nice beliefs about the people from, from Galilee. And it was also the first place that was overrun when other nations would come in. So this, the people of Galilee had seen a lot of crud over the years, a lot of raping and pillaging and thieving and And they go right through Galilee to get to Jerusalem and the rest of Israel. It's the last place that you'd expect God to do something big. But God did. And it's a reminder to us that God seems to love to work in unexpected places and in unexpected ways through unexpected people. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us that this promise was fulfilled when Jesus was born um, in Galilee. I mean, who would expect a baby to be born in a backwater place who would end up becoming our Savior. But that's exactly what God did. I mean, think of it this way. Think about Jesus' life. He's a man who was born in an obscure village to a peasant mother. They have to run off and they're refugees before he can even walk. So they have to run to another country for safety. He works as a carpenter until he's 30. And then for three other years, he's an itinerant preacher. Not exactly the fast track to the good life, is it? He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never went to college. He never had a family. He never traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born. When he was a young man, his friends turned away from him. One of them denied him. One of them betrayed him. He was unjustly tried. He was mocked. He's knelt on a cross between two thieves. While he's dying, his executioners gamble for the only piece of property he has left, his robe. And when he's dead, he's laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And well over 19 centuries have come and gone since all this happened. And Jesus is the centerpiece of history. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the governments that have ever ruled, put together, have not affected the, the life and history of, of human, humanity as powerfully and as deeply as that one simple, solitary life from a backwater town. You would never expect to find meaning 
or joy in the birth of somebody like Jesus. But joy comes through the birth of a baby. Barrow, Alaska is the northernmost city in the U.S. Um, and it's about a town of about 4,000 people. Actually, after the first service, somebody came up to me and said, I've actually been there. Not much to see. No trees, very gray, very dim. But she said, I've actually been there. And it's located north of the Arctic Circle. And the sun set there this year on the afternoon of November 18th, and it will not come up again until January 22nd. And on that day, January 22nd, they'll get only 26 minutes of sunlight. According to Isaiah, that's us theologically and morally. We live in darkness. We don't even know it. We do bad, but we can't stop. But then we read, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has shone a light. And what is he talking about? Well, we know it's, he's talking about Jesus, right? In Isaiah's time, God had promised a sign to King Ahaz back in chapter 7. And the nation of Israel was also in a time of crisis. And Isaiah came to King Ahaz and said, God has told me that a child is going to be born, and this child will be a sign that God has not abandoned us, that God is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. That no matter what happens around us, we are to trust in him, not in our own military, not in foreign powers, not in alliances, but in God. That God can depend upon, that you can depend upon God because of this child being born. And verses 6 and 7 tell us very clearly this is more than just a baby for that day. It's a promise for us. Listen to it again. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So according to Isaiah, a child sent by God is more powerful than all the nations this world has ever seen. So it's a reminder to us that because Christ was born, he will defeat his enemies, he will love us endlessly, and he will bring us peace and he will bring us joy. So joy comes through the birth of a baby, ultimately. And the question for us today is, again, what are you trusting in to bring you joy? The success of your kids or your marriage, your finances, your health, your appearance, your experiences. According to Isaiah, those things will never work. When we look to these things and only to these things, we will suffer from the Paris effect. The sense that things never really line up with our expectations. It's not the path to lasting joy. Because joy comes through Jesus Christ. Do you want joy? Look to Jesus Christ. And you can have the joy of knowing that you're forgiven, that you're endlessly loved. There's no better news than that such a king has come. One writer puts it this way. The great fruit of belief is joy. There is a God, there is a purpose, there is a meaning to life. And you are part of it. And God is good. And near him is where you want to be. And there is something called everlasting happiness. And the human imagination cannot encompass it. And the joy of God is so large that it no longer is just inside you, but you are inside of it. So open your heart to the joy of Christ this Christmas.
joy, one of the best gifts ever given. It's why Isaac Watts could write a poem that became a hymn that we sing every year. Joy to the Lord, joy to the world, the Lord has come, that earth receive her king. And then the next phrase, which is so important, let every heart prepare him room. Make room for Christ and experience the joy of knowing him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you again for the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to be people who trust in you. We, we all at times trust in other things, all of us. Uh, we try to do good, but sometimes it's hard to stop doing the things we know we shouldn't. Sometimes it's easy to avoid doing the things we should do. But Lord, because of your son, Jesus, we can have forgiveness, and we can have change, and we can experience joy. So we, we do sing to you, Lord, today. We praise your name, and we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and the gift of peace and joy and hope and love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.